Welcome to the Mortcast. Before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th, and Blake Noisy in beautiful lower downtown Denver. Right in the middle of the dairy block. They are always online at bfwdenver.com. Uh, the Red Zin with, uh, uh, that was finished in whiskey barrels is sold out, um, but they will have that available again in the near future, uh, from what I've been told, so look forward to that. Um, they, but they've also got what you uh, the classic things that you've been hearing about uh, on CSG for a long time. They've got the... Uh, um, the 2017 Cabernet, they've got the Blake Street Blend, they've got just anything you need as far as reds, they've got whites, they've got, you know, rosés. Uh, if you go to bfwdenver.com, you want to pick yourself up a bottle, you can do that, or you can book yourself a virtual wine tasting, which sometimes you got to book that a little far in advance. It's winter and people like want to do things virtually, so keep that in mind. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee, beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They are always online at bfwdenver.com. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I am, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Hopefully the sound is going to be a little better today. Uh, let me know on this. I'm, I'm, I'm trying new things. Uh, got a new computer, so hopefully uh, things will look a little better. But I kind of wanted to talk about a couple things. But first, I want to talk about Adam Silver and his comments in regard to uh, media and having access to the locker rooms. Um, I think we all feared when these pandemic restrictions happened that this would be an excuse to make things permanent. And I think that is something that uh, we in the media were, quote unquote, we in the media, were all cognizant of prior to um this going the the restrictions of the pandemic the limiting of the locker rooms this is what we were all afraid of and i kind of had an annoying suspicion that it would happen it doesn't necessarily directly affect me but but there's something that i pointed out there was something that it was it was atrocious what uh adam silver said about uh just watching uh the players get dressed which had a horrible connotation to it and it it seems to me that that sort of thing likely came from the players union. It definitely was not uh, something that would come from PR staffs or anything like that. I don't think that is, that is, it is a, it is really kind of a, an, an ignorant thing to say. Um, it's not something that um, happens. It's a, it's a, it's, it's just a dumb way to phrase this sort of thing. But aside from that, the lack of access has been troubling. Um, it's been a troubling thing for a long time now, um, going back several years. Um, just from another Nuggets perspective, when uh, I first was credentialed back in 2012, uh, we got access. Oh, God, that's 10 years ago now. Um, we got access to not only the locker rooms, but we got access to shoot around on the court. Um, and we got to see more practice. Um, and as the years have gone by, it's been more and more restricted. It's, it started out a certain way and this is 10 years ago. And even when I first started it with it, um, it was 
certainly not what it was back in the 80s and 90s and stuff like that. Not unfettered and unlimited access, but in, in a certain way it was there was different kind of, of direct access to the players. And I, I, the locker room thing is neither here nor there. Um, what has been troubling is the is the shrinking of access to the players. And a lot of this has come from players having access to social media. Um, a long time ago, uh, maybe three, four years ago, I, I had this, um, this comment about um, Kevin Durant and some of these other players confusing social media with media. So they say, you guys in the media do blah, blah, blah. And what it, uh, I was finding out is that these guys were logging onto Twitter and thinking that some rando who said starts wants to start some shit is media because it's social media. And, and I, I think players don't look at it that way. They don't look, they don't look at it like a, a tool to promote what you've done. Um, like a, most media does, some media lives exclusively on Twitter, but most media uses it as a, as a way to promote, you know, themselves kind of like the players do. Um, but they will see there's there's regular folks on Twitter who aren't media and they confuse that with, quote unquote, media. And I think that part is something that is hard to reconcile. But but the, since these players use social media and, and, you know, not Nikola Jokic, but since the players use social media, it is very easy for them to look at a um, a situation where they have to, I don't know, um, they see something on on social media they don't like, they they immediately assume media. Well, they're all right. I mean, players don't like locker room access, um, and I think that part rolls into the annoyance, and the NBPA probably is taking this advantage the advantage of this pandemic to say we don't want locker room access. Here's the problem. We have only so much access to the players. It is hard to reach them now. Maybe that's what the players want, but they're trying to control their own thing. And since our we don't they we don't have access to shoot around anymore, since our pra access to practice has become ultra limited, uh, because they rarely practice, and when they do, we don't get a ton of ton of exposure. Um, we don't get to do, uh, I mean, shoot arounds is where you used to get the best info. Um, and I would say put right under that post practice after a game is kind of, you know, yeah, I mean, you don't really get good stuff. I mean, the most frustrating player was Danilo Gallinari. Uh, he wouldn't give you anything. Uh, <laughs> and some players are like that. I mean, that, that really is the case. Um, but there is this, there is this, kind of assumption that we are only out to get them and some of the best relationships I formed in the NBA from players is because I had access to them in one-on-ones and arranged one-on-ones are not the same as one-on-ones that occur naturally um I have I have gained great access to players and conversations with players I've never violated any trusts. 
Uh, I got great relationships with these guys as because we were allowed that access. Um, the more that got constricted, the more it became um, harder to reach guys. And the more it became harder to become uh, the valuable outlets of news sources. I mean, I, I have relationships with a lot of different people, and I use that to inform what I talk about. I don't violate trusts. People talk to me on background. I don't talk to them on, on you know, I don't say I'm going to violate what you're telling me. I don't give in out any but like a tenth of what I actually know. Uh, because you know you're not you're, you don't want to violate a trust that's this part and parcel and that is an, an integral part of the coverage aspect of this. Um, but there is also a a lack of trust in a, in a sense that I, I I have not seen in the in the you know 13 years I've been covering the Denver Nuggets and the 10 years I've been um, part in part credentialed I've I've never seen the list so much lack of trust and a lot of it has to do with social media and I think that the more restrictions we get the less valuable our our um coverage of the team will be and that is disturbing to me that is very disturbing to me and then it'll boil down to a select few chosen people who get to talk to these guys. Uh, and it's going to uh, inevitably result in worse coverage. Um, and you'll get more access slash advocacy journalism that we've seen the rise of recently. Um, one of the things that has really got to me the, the last several years is point of view journalism where you you can tell a um a certain person wants to get a certain thing out and uh it everything comes from that perspective like a a a reporter will talk to only an agent and the agent wants this message out blah 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 i don't want more access uh and advocacy journalism like that i want more unbiased coverage uh i want more everything and we are getting it's getting so narrow now that it is hard to get to the straight thing it's hard to get to the to straight access to everything and it's it's a dangerous and a very slippery slope you know you in the in 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 who's listening to this podcast says well why should i care and in quite frankly nine times out of ten you shouldn't maybe this is due to the different nature of what social media has been able to do and how it has been able to uh, uh, give everyone fingertip access to everything. Um, but having those people who are basically your surrogates who are able to translate what's going on to you, losing that sort of thing is not good. And it really worries me. And Adam Silver's comments in the All-Star break were, were terrible. It was It was clumsy. And I think hopefully someone will get to him post in his annual post uh, uh, season conference and quiz him about this because I think it was wrong and it sets sets really sets the bad tone. All right, on the other side of the break, I'm going to talk to you about uh, a certain player with the Pelicans and how I think he may be the guinea, the canary in the coal mine for a certain thing that people have been scared to do. We'll be back right after this. You know, Zion Williamson 
the number one pick in the 2019 draft is going to be, I feel, I feel uh, the interesting test case to a, a, a notion that has not been really tried in, well, uh, the bravery. I don't, I think Greg, Greg, Greg Monroe uh, was the last person to do this sort of thing. And it's a sign your qualifying offer, play on your qualifying offer, and uh, be an unrestricted free agent afterwards and go wherever you want. Um, the, the There's tremendous risk in signing your qualifying offer and playing on it in that you are foregoing a ton of money. And it is the ultimate bet on yourself thing. And even if you go to another team, you know, the NBA has, has set things up to where you, if you, you are incentivized to stay with your own team because you get more money, the, your, your, your team that owns your bird rights can, can give you more money. And, uh, that is, that is the way they, NBA has tried to do this in order to make sure that teams weren't losing players as frequently as they were. Um, players have always have always found a way to get out of these situations. Obviously, James Harden and Ben Simmons this year um, is part part of the game, you know. And I and I that does not bother me as much as it does other people. Uh, the Simmons situation in in Philly was a, a, a situation where uh, the unique circumstances you're not going to be able to see that du- duplicated in a, a lot of different places. Um, but there is the thing that's been brewing this year with Zion Williamson and the Pelicans is something that I I think has been percolating under the surface for, for ever since Zion Williams was drafted. And it is that, that he never, the implication that he never wanted to be in New, New Orleans in the first place and, uh, wanted to be drafted by the Knicks, wasn't drafted by the Knicks. And it kind of has influenced a maybe some decision making that he has made. There's no way to prove this, and quite quite frankly, it'd be kind of conspiratorial to say for sure what is going on. But it 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 does bring up an interesting notion: Could Zion Williamson be the player since he was the first pick in the draft and has undeniable talent? Could he be the player that tests this notion that no player that is a high draft pick will take the qualifying offer? I, I, I'm fascinated by this because players will have the ultimate control of their own destiny if they take the, the QO. Um, the ta- one of the aspects of taking a qualifying offer is that the team can't trade you. And so if you, they, in order to get, uh, you to that next contract, the team has to submit you a qualifying offer. And then obviously negotiations happen. And then inevitably, which has been for years and years and years, is that the player will sign a uh, an extension and uh, forego the aspect of having that last year in his deal be the qualifying offer. Now, a team could not submit you a qualifying offer, in, in which case uh, you're unrestricted and you can go. But no team's going to do that. It's going to be fascinating to see if Zion Williamson takes the qualifying offer because there's aspects of the qualifying offer that, that are ex- 
they're really risky. First of all, Zion Williamson has not exactly proven himself to be to be uh, reliably healthy, and he has a certain uh, let's just say laissez-faire attitude about his um, physical fitness. So is there a notion that um, he's taking? He would take the ultimate gamble with his career if he takes a qualifying offer on his the end of his rookie deal, and ultimately bets on himself to get into unrestricted free agency three years before three four years before he he would normally get it. The other side of it is the qualifying offer uh, does not allow teams to tra- you cannot be traded. So if you take the qualifying offer, you are playing on that for that salary that year. And a team cannot trade you. Essentially, a qualifying offer means you are on a one-year deal. Uh, the same restrictions kind of um, apply there, and it is uh, it ties teams' hands. I mean, basically, it's, the, it's ultimately what the, the guy's saying is, I don't want to be here, and I'm going to leave by any cost. If a team doesn't trade you beforehand, get you blah, 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 you know. And it's going to be interesting as far as I can perceive. It's going to be interesting to watch this sort of situation because it's very clear to me as an outside observer that Zion Williamson does not want to be uh, a part of um, this this situation in New Orleans. Uh, I think his behavior has uh, indicated, all, all indication has been that he wants to be somewhere else. And I'm going to be interested to see how the New Orleans Pelicans handle this, if they handle it at all. Um, this has been a brewing under the, under this, you know, has been under uh, the radar, believe it or not, for this entire season. Zion Williamson, Zion Williamson has not played. Um, his foot is either an issue or not issue, but I tend to think it is. He was extremely out of shape when he showed up to, to uh, media day. So what does this mean? What does that say about his intentions? It's going to, it's going to be fascinating to find out. J.J. Redick uh, said uh, on the jump that, uh, you know, he was disappointed in the way Zion Williamson has behaved. And if I'm a New Orleans Pelicans fan, I'm, I'm disappointed too. I don't want a guy that doesn't want to be there. And I don't know how this is all going to end up, but it's going to be fascinating to watch. All right, folks, thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast. I'll be back soon with another episode. Goodbye.